0: To the DIY Animation Show, where we get
1: to the heart of what it means to be an independent animator. I'm Lauren Morse. And I'm Jessica Dahl. Together with our guests, we'll explore tips, tricks, the psychological, the fundamental, and above all, how to make whatever you can with whatever you've got. From the keys to the breakdowns and everything in between. The timing's right to do it yourself. Let's get rolling! Thank you. Welcome back to the DIY Animation Hello. Show! Oh, It's
0: so good to have Hello. you here!
1: We are here today with part two of our interview with Colin Bird, the creator of the animated webcomic The Crimson Fly. Oh
0: yes! Last time Colin walked us through the origin of his animated webcomic, as well as giving a full run-through of his production process, and touched on how limitation is the mother of creativity.
1: That was definitely one of our favourite points. It was yes. great. <laughs>
0: I keep remembering it and I just want to write it everywhere so that I never forget it.
1: Same. Yeah, it's just really like stuck in my head and I'll be working. I'm like, oh, it's cool because limitation is the mother of creativity. Yes. (laughs) Limitations.
0: (laughs) Anywho, in today's interview, we dive even further into this point from the lens of fan art and fan creations, from the understanding, use and legality of fan art,
1: to the importance of representation in media.
0: And some cool revelations about creations that started as fanworks.
1: Yeah, those are really, really fun to get into. Mm-hmm. You're gonna you're gonna like it. <laughs> mm. We also explore technical animation aspects of creating the Crimson Fly, such as Colin's thorough breakdown of elements for engaging animated action choreography. The
0: structural similarities between jokes and fight scenes. Balancing
1: deadlines with your desires as a creator
0: technical overlaps between comics and animation
1: and a whole lot more we talk about so much (laughs) Mm -hmm, we do isn't that the way (laughs) (laughs) it's the best way it is (laughs) i love it and finally we hear colin's take on the one most vital thing an animator needs oh yes yes
0: (laughs) well with so much to cover grab your synchronized swimming buddies and let's jump in oh diving in there (laughs) (laughs)
2: <laughs> and just all of those limitations of being Luigi, just like play, they just make him such a more dynamic character than Mario. Mm-hmm. It's true. Like to the, to the point where, if I was gonna make a Mario Brothers movie, the protagonist would be Luigi. Like a uh, where we're in. Um, it starts off with Peach being kidnapped for like the, either the first or second time. I don't know. But Mario is such an ace, but he recognizes that Luigi does, Luigi is the, the yin to his yang, and he needs Luigi. So um, Luigi, but Luigi's like, uh Mario, you can, you can do it all. The toads love you. The people love you. Um, what do you need me for? And then Mario gets into a little bit too much trouble, and Luigi learns that he has to step up. And that it's not called Super Mario. It's called Super Mario Brothers.
1: Yeah, that's right. Oh, that'd be really cool. I like
2: that. And I don't know. I might do that on the side and not n- tell Nintendo ever about that until <laughs> it's, it's free to go, until it's ready to go online. Totally. keep <laughs> hey, it a secret. <laughs> well, it's not so much I'm worried about Nintendo stealing it as I'm worried about Nintendo shutting it down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 And to be honest, they are very much well within their rights to do so. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's actually another topic that's uh, that's been bugging me is just how little we know, not just in terms of technology, but in terms of, how the world works. Like uh, we go to art school and we learn how to draw, we learn how to animate, we learn how to model, we learn how to sculpt, but we don't learn how to, to sell ourselves. We don't learn how the business works. In terms of copyright law, every time there's a there's always a new fan game that comes out. There's always a new fan movie that's coming out. Somebody's going to, they're going to do it. It's going to be awesome. They've got all these voice actors that are down. They've got these animators They are down with it. And they're asking for money for donations on Patreon. and. They've hit the magic button that Nintendo says, nope, you can't do that. And every time that happens, the, the, the internet explodes and says, why is Nintendo being such a meanie? And it's like, well, you have to understand how copyright law works. If it's not under fair use, if it's not educational, and if you do not have permission from the content creators, you cannot make that thing. Mm-hmm. Well, you can make it. Nobody's stopping you from making it, but you can't sell that thing. When, like, there's a few cases where they just kind of swoop it under the rug, like Artist Alley is technically entirely illegal, um, based off of the majority of the wares that come up at Artist Alley, but, (laughs) but it's, it's, if you have a good understanding of copyright law and how that works, you can sidestep a lot of these issues that these people come up with. Um, like, one of my favorite examples of it is, um, the, the video game Freedom Planet, which started out as a Sonic the Hedgehog fan game. And I was like, oh, look at your cute little Sonic the Hedgehog fan game. Why don't you just make it Sonic the Hedgehog? But from the, from the limitation of we can't use Sonic the Hedgehog, they came up with their own characters. They refined their gameplay style so that it, it, it stands out from the crowd. They have a plot and characters and things that they can all keep going with forward that they don't have to stop and shut down because, oh, we're using Sonic the Hedgehog. And now they're, I think they're, they're working on their sequel and it's looking really good. So, yeah. Um, we just don't know enough about how the world works and that kind of scares me a little bit.
0: Yeah, definitely
2: the thing is that I don't want to knock on fan art or fan creation because you when you study how other people have been successful you learn how to be successful yourself and you learn how you learn how to draw by imitating people who've done it better like I always joke with my students I learned my anatomy from I got my start learning anatomy from Dragon Ball Z right was, yeah because <laughs> yeah, they're shirtless half the time uh-huh, uh-huh. it's true
1: <laughs> and they have huge arms <laughs> like
2: everything is emphasized
1: uh inc- <laughs> like just it's overemphasized and it's so great Dragon Ball Z
2: is the best. I love it. And I would never be able to do that if I wasn't allowed to draw fan art. Mm-hmm. And there's some crazy things that people have done with their fan creations. There's entire sides that they've explored uh, of, the, of the fandom, not the fandom, but of the of the works that they are that they are parodying or they're critiquing or they're enjoying simply by virtue of, well, let's do it. Like um, there's this one video series called Let's Destroy Metal Gear. Um, by the by, the artist um, Hi, i Daisy. She now goes by uh, Gigi Diggy G I G I D I G I. She does a series called Cucumber Quest. But um, she before that, she did a series of parody um, um, parody comics, parodying the Metal Gear series and how ridiculous the, how ridiculous everything is. It's like, hmm, the best way to launch nukes is a walking tank with legs. That's stupid. <laughs> and but but she took what she learned from that and then she now she's making this comic called Cucumber Quest which which parodies all the RPG genres like what if the chosen one of destiny didn't want to be the chosen one they're learning that that he has different strengths that don't necessarily lend themselves to the quest but they lend themselves towards ending the cycle of of questing that has necessitated his uh creation in the first place
1: Totally. Yeah, I think the thing with uh with fan art, it's like it becomes iffy when you're trying to make a profit off of it. Like and not making it your own or satirizing or something like that. It's like that's where it, it seems like that's where problems arise. Like do mm-hmm. like doing fan art for the sake of doing fan art is wonderful and should totally be explored. It's just when you try to make a profit off of like like Making art that, like you you know what I mean? Yeah. Like it's not bringing anything like new, new to it or too. satirizing or getting educational purposes. It's just uh. Make the same money, but not have to put in the work. <laughs> mm. Exactly. It's like no, that works important now. Come on
2: now. But of course, the, the issue that is that uh, like we have to also understand why do people do fan art? Because unfortunately, we have this issue where it's uh, we want proven, with a hint of new. Mm-hmm. Um, the mm-hmm. idea that something. Is guaranteed to be good before we even go into it as a justification for spending our time, money, and stuff on on anything. And what's easier to what's the easiest thing to prove that works? Fan stuff. Like uh with Marvel going on to an official track, they have their new character Miles Morales, the the African-American ultimate Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. And people are wondering, well, Why don't you just make him a different character? He doesn't even have to have spider powers. He doesn't even have to be named Spider-Man. Why couldn't you just make a new guy and make him entirely original? But here's a question. Would you read him if he wasn't Mm Spider-Man? Because the Mm -hmm. issue with with him being Spider-Man, it comes in one, how did he get spider powers? Two, what happened to Peter Parker? Three, why does he want to be Spider-Man? All these questions are bubbling in your mind for official channels. Um, Not only that, but Brian Bendis, the guy who's writing um, Spider-Man, he is a proven content creator for Marvel. He wrote Daredevil, he wrote the original Ultimate Spider-Man series. So he's proven um, proven content and proven commodity. You know what you're going to get when you you read his work. when you read Spider-Man, even if it's not Peter Parker, you know that Spider-Man is going to joke a lot. He's going to make fun of his enemies. He's always going to be the underdog in any fight that he gets into. And his personal life is going to suck on top of him being Spider-Man. Mm-hmm. That's what you know where you're gonna get, get into, going into Spider-Man. So knowing all these factors, you have a pretty good idea of what you're going to get. The new that comes in is it's not Peter Parker. It's an African-American kid. He has different powers. He has a different costume. He has to have a different cast because obviously he can't just slot himself into being Aunt, Aunt May and Uncle Ben's nephew. Mm-hmm. Um, he has to have a different reason for being a spider. That is the new part of it. And the thing is, as uh, both as content creators and as audience members, we don't understand that. It's part of the reason for my personal frustration, this is me being petty for a moment, with the Crimson Fly having taking time to build as a thing because I'm because I look at it, you look at it, and and anybody else who looks at it is like, why isn't this a thing yet? Well the reason why not is because nobody's ever heard of Colin Bird before. Mm-hmm. No one's ever heard of Skipperwing or the Crimson Fly. No one knows if it's good except for the people who have already invested money, time, energy and money into it. So it would be a lot easier for me to have made a Spider-Man fan comic, animated comic first, done that for a year, gained traction doing that. And then taking that audience and transforming, it said, you like that? Mm-hmm. Now look what I can do when I'm not drawing Spider-Man. And that's a really
1: smart move too. It, again, kind of like that entryway. You're working with that familiar place, mm-hmm. you know, uh, like from the previous franchise with like a bit of a twist. It's both smart and emotionally engaging for other mm. people as well oh, yeah. too.
2: I had a friend who did that. Um, his name is Zachary Rich. Jessica, you might have heard of him.
1: I know, yeah. Oh, he's so nice.
2: Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so what he started up was he started doing a series of My Little Pony fan episodes, because this was back when oh, My okay. Little Pony was really big and it was kind of validating um, everybody's decision to still stick with Slash. Mm-hmm. Um, he did a, a series of My Little Pony episodes, and he used those episodes to tell people to show people, hey, I can do this pro- this, uh, this, um, this product service. Come join my crew. And then he used that base to do an entire fan episode, um, *My Little Pony: um, Friendship is Magic*, and he crossed over with the Cartoon Network universe and a crossover with the Powerpuff Girls. Mm-hmm. Now, notably, he did get permission from both Hasbro, who owns the *My Little Pony* license, and Cartoon Network, who owns the Powerpuff Girls license, to make this episode. So he didn't go into this thinking, "Oh yeah, I'm just gonna, um, I'm just going to, to make my thing. Screw the consequences." So he did that and he built up this massive crew of people and they made the episode. And as per usual, when anything happens on the internet, they broke the internet. (laughs) The fan base was both happy and frustrated with how the episode turned out because the internet is never satisfied. Mm -hmm. But the important thing is that then he was able to take that crew that he had built up, pick the best animators who could still stick around and now they're working on their own independent project called True Tale that I think they're trying to shop around to the different networks.
1: And it looks beautiful too.
2: Yes.
1: Yeah. It's just like, oh yeah, my I could god, we want to check out. Right. Right. <laughs> oh man, dude. Yeah. It is absolutely gorgeous.
2: And really, I think this this era of fan creators becoming prominent as fan creators is something new mm-hmm. because really, when you think about it, that's what any any artist does going into a studio. You work for a little bit. You earn your cred working on um either on a movie. Or on a cartoon, or on a TV series, you work your way up. People, people in the know start to trust you more and more, and then suddenly you've got your own show. Um, Rebecca Sugar and um, and uh, and uh, Steven Universe, Natasha Allegri and um, Bee and Puppy Cat. A lot of a lot of good people came out of Adventure Time. That's oh, that's such a good show. So yeah, Adventure good. Time too. Man, you build your way up working on something that other people have done, mm-hmm. but you do it through the legal channels technically. Mm-hmm. And then you branch out and you do your own thing, and then people give you the the right to do that. Mm-hmm. I mean, even in comics, where you have like a uh, Frank Miller start off on uh, on um, start, well, he started I forget what exactly he started off, but he made his name on Daredevil. Then they allowed him to do Batman. Then they allowed him to do um, Dark Knight Returns. Then they allowed him to do Year One, and then he started branching off and doing his own stuff. Wow. So it's just like we you you build your name on what's been proven. And then once people trust you, then you branch out and do your own thing. Mm-hmm. And granted, my personal mistake was, like, I didn't build my name first, which I thought I was like, oh, there's the skills will be enough. Because I think that's something that we don't, that in school and just the culture, we we proclaim to value originality, but we, one, don't actually know what originality is. And two, we don't actually practice what we preach. hmm Cause what we'll do is we're like, why don't you make something new? And then something new comes out and then it just kind of goes over everybody's head. Nobody talks about it. Nobody reads it. And then the, the comic companies say, okay, well then that do not didn't work. Let's go back to what we know actually works. And then the cycle starts all over again.
1: If you had the opportunity to go back to when you started the Crimson Fly, um, yep. the, the-, the thesis film, Crimson, Crimson yeah. Fly, by the way, mm-hmm. would you do it with all this in mind? Would you do it differently or would you still go about it the same way?
2: Um, for the comic, is for the thesis film. I probably would have still gone about it the same way, mostly because I'm pretty sure Scad would have frowned on a fan piece being a graduate thesis. Uh-huh. But I would have dedicated more time to working on animations that that bolster my, bolster my portfolio, but at the same time are also fan creations that people can get into. Like um, one of the things I I unwittingly did this did this, but I didn't do it enough. Is I had a for a 24 hour challenge at my undergrad, on um, the Art Institute of Washington. A friend of mine wanted to do a sort of robot chicken sketch, but apply it to different uh, cartoon characters. And so he he passed out a bunch of sheets and he's like, "Hey, do you want to do something like that?" I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So what I did is I thought about something that had really bugged me for a while um, when I was a kid. In Super Mario World, I would always notice that Mario would be would it would look like he was punching Yoshi in the back of the head to get him to spit out his tongue.
1: <laughs>
2: it, it turns out what's actually happening is he's he's pointing. If you can zoom in on the sprite just close enough, he's pointing to Yoshi, hey, hit that.
1: Oh, that makes so much more, because it does <laughs> kind of look like he's punching Yoshi in the back of the head,
2: though. So, um, uh, um, so what I ended up doing is I did a, short, a YouTube short wherein, not a YouTube short, this was before YouTube. Well, it wasn't before YouTube. But um, I did a short wherein Mario is punching Yoshi in the back of the head. And he just gets so angry about it that he just loses his mind. He kicks Mario off his back. So it's funny because then, like, some years later, when I was at SCAD, I find out that somebody has dubbed it in Spanish. What? Really? Yeah. It was, it was weird. Not only that they dub it in Spanish, but they also did the proper credits, too. So they're like, oh, yeah, go check out this guy, Skipperwing. Wing. This is his video first. Apparently, the characters, saying, the characters are saying the exact same things, but... That happened. And I think that's what actually got uh, got the attention of Channel Frederator when it came to networking, um, the, the signing up for the YouTube network, because that was what allowed, back before YouTube just automatically monetized everything, that was unintentionally, that was a thing that I did that got me some, some small, really small internet fame, but uh, I didn't realize it at the time. And if I had, I probably would have done more to mm. a certain extent. The other thing is that it's really tiring thinking of, of ideas for things that you're not really invested in. So that's part of the reason why I haven't done any other things like that. Earl uh, later.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah, you wanna you wanna do something that you're passionate about,
2: you know? Mm-hmm. So. And that's not to say that I'm not passionate about Mario and Company and all that jazz. It's just it's not as um, important a thing to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh,
1: we're gonna we're gonna segue back into. Again, because that, again, just kind of got the brain going in terms of like, animation questions and things like that.
2: Yeah, uh, we, I don't feel like we got to do too many of those.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, yeah, we are. Yeah, we, we have some questions because, again, the Crimson Fly, it just, like, the fact that it's a comic and an animation combined alone, like, just presents so many, like, potential animation things. Mm-hmm. And, like, like one example that we we're really curious about is, you know, and just like the, uh, the gutter in comics represents gaps in time, mm-hmm. yeah, you know, and how we perceive them. You know, mm-hmm. we don't we don't have gutters in animation. So yeah. so, so now that you combine the two, how have you been utilizing the gutter to your advantage in the animated version of your comic? Oh,
2: man. Ah. Like, do you find. Most... That... Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. I have, I, it's one of the things where I've never actually thought about that too much. Yeah, I was
1: going to say, is it something that like you've actively thought about or is it just something that you've kind of naturally uh, worked with?
2: Um, it's just, yeah, it's just something that just kind of naturally happens. I'm kind of weirded out that I've never actually put any thought into how I use the gutters. Um, I mean, I guess the, really the, the closest thing is that it's like, it's, it's just a cut in, a, in, a, in animation. It's just a cut from, from from shot to shot to shot. Mm-hmm. But I feel like there's more to be done with it. Like, um, Scott McCloud, he wrote a book called, um, well, he wrote a couple of books. There's one that's understanding comics. And then there's one that's making comics. And in understanding comics, he talks about the role of the gutter. Also, um, uh, I forget the name guy's name, uh the guy the name of the book, but Thierry Groenstein. Let me see if I can find the name of it. Oh, uh, nice. Thierry Gro- Groenstein. System of comics. Mm-hmm. Um, but basically he talks about how the construction of the panel and what it all entails as a moment in time and also the absence of time, but at the same time, the continuation of time in the gutters. That's very important to think about when you're making your stuff. And I'm just, I'm actually kind of flabbergasted now that I've never thought about that.
1: Well, no, well, no, because maybe it's something different. Like, what if instead, uh, I hope I'm not putting words into your mouth or anything like that, because I'm, I'm wondering then when you watch the still version or when you're like taking in one of your comic strips, uh, animated comic strips that has less action in it than, mm-hmm. again, like an action scene later or something like that, mm-hmm. um, you're able to spend a lot you know, like we, like we talked about earlier, you can choose to, uh, like, you know, play the strip and it'll move on to the next panel and move on to yep. the next panel. So in a mm-hmm. way, it seems like your panel itself, uh, this is going to sound weird, but, like, <laughs> but I was going to say like the panel itself, like takes on the role of the gutter when it's animated because, uh, maybe does that make sense? Let me
2: rephrase. But it. No, it, it yeah. actually does because, um, it changes the reading experience. Um, and mm. it, no, that actually does make sense. That it's because the uh, when they're when they're when they're all on screen together, it, it, it the gutters make sense. But when they're not on screen at, um, by themselves, then uh, when they're on their, when they're when they're by themselves, then yeah, no, that actually makes absolute sense. Again, I'm kind of mad I've never thought about this.
1: No, no, again, <laughs> well, again, I, again, I think that's uh, a testament to your work. Then, like, because I think that's something that, like, I know that for myself. If like, if I try to think of this stuff, like. If I overthink it, then it's not that I don't make it, but I just like, you know, it's, again, like the connections are hard. To,
2: the, the connections are really hard to make.
1: Yeah, ex- exactly. Mm. You can kind of in your head. So then you lose focus on actually just making the work. And, and I think the testament with your work, again, like with what you talked about with um, the like the adaptability and just doing it just from the right. way you've talked about. It, it just seems like you've just even with all of your planning, you just take each thing head on in stride and that stuff emerges as you're working on it.
2: Oh, yeah, um, like, well, because like it's um, you learn how to get better as you're doing it. Like you don't learn from just practicing it. You just you do it and then you get better and you get better and better and better mm-hmm. as
0: you go. Now that you've been making the Crimson Fly for a while, do you find that you've kind of got into a groove now with the animation style in such a way that kind of enables you to keep, you know, kind of a regular sort of flow of work on it?
2: Yes and no. Um, yes. In terms of process, like everything has to hit in a certain order. Like uh, I have to do my roughs, the roughs get turned into a symbol and I do a proper, but I always find that I'm never trying to, to, to do the same thing twice. It's really frustrating. Mm-hmm. Uh, it sounds really inspiring, but it's actually really frustrating. Cause I'll always look at it. Like, hmm. How can this be better? And it's like, no, 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 no. You have to hit a deadline. Don't, don't, don't make it better. Like, but it would be so much cooler this way. <laughs> um, so I always try and improve the process some way, shape or form every time I do it. And also part of it is that I'm realizing that when I animate, I'm at that stage where I can animate consistently, but I can't incorporate personality into motion, into movement just yet. Right. So like, uh, one of the things that always bugged me in issue three is that everybody fights like they already know how to f- do kung fu.
0: oh wow okay because i was gonna say this segues into a question a burning question we had was um your action choreography is just amazing it's brilliant it is
1: so fun to watch man yeah thank you it's so good
0: so uh we were wondering what what would be like your top tips for choreographing action in animation
2: Oh my God, there is a laundry list. We like laundry lists, please. (laughs) Um, Action choreography, Um, going back to that David Fincher thing, what is your rule? What can you do in animation that you cannot do in live action? Like what can you do? And granted that list is growing smaller and smaller as special effects and vis effects and 3D animation. Gets closer and closer to emulating on the screen, but for the uh, for like for action choreography with the Crimson Fly, most people can't jump three stories in the air. <laughs> How do I use that for my fight sequence? What are the limitations of your particular character in terms of personality and um, physical ability? What can they do that only they can do? Because after a while in Dragon Ball Z, it got to a point where everybody could because they were everybody was learning techniques. Everybody could, in theory, do the same things. It was just a matter of who could do them better, and that makes for a boring fight sequence. Mm. Um, compare with the airport fight in Civil War. Only Spider-Man can swing from webs, so only he has the ability to take on uh, on Giant-Man in his in his own um, in his own domain. There's a reason why we don't why when when Iron Man and uh, and uh, War Machine are fighting. We never see them together and we never see them fighting each other. And the same thing with Captain America and uh, the Winter Soldier. They're never seen either fighting together or fighting each other because that's boring. We already, we already know what they can do. What can they do that other characters can't do? Right. And they even, they even found a way to make uh, the Falcon seem useful. Like Anthony Mackie plays the character to perfection. So even if he didn't have superpowers, I would still love the guy. mm mm-hmm. <laughs> But the idea that his um, that he acts as a sort of spy for the for the other characters, where he can see things that nobody else can see, his uh, wings are also a shield that allows him to fly. Captain America can't do that, and his drone allows him to be in three places at once, which no one else can do. That's amazing, and that actually segues into um, my next my next two tips: use the entire space, not just in terms mm-hmm. of where the characters are fighting. Like if they're fighting in a in a bakery there better be some cakes flying around. <laughs> yes. <laughs> um, use the entire space of where characters fight. Make a make it happen so that this fight can only take place in this one area. Jackie Chan is a master of that.
0: Oh my gosh, yes.
2: You remember Jackie Chan's fights because of what he improvises with. Like the ladder fight from, I think it's Rumble in the Bronx. Somebody can totally correct me on this. Um, but the, the, you remember the ladder fight because nobody else fights with the ladder. You remember him fighting with a chicken. You remember him fighting with uh, with hands, <laughs> fighting naked, fighting all of these these handcuffed. You remember them because they these fights can only happen in those environments. Uh-huh. At the same time, also remember that it's a an animation that it's a three D space. It's yeah. one of the reasons why I, why after a while I start kind of got tired of stick figure um fighting animations because there's only so many things a stick figure can do in two dimensions mm-hmm. without just. Needlessly stacking on more things that don't really matter. Have things recede in space. Have things re- um, um, have things come forward in space. Always use the entirety of your space, not just the environment, but also the the dimensions. And as far as choreography goes, the silhouette should always be clear as to what's going on. Huh. Yeah, like like it's one of those things where it's like for animation and for comics, it's like a kind of a no duh. The silhouette should always be clear. Mm-hmm. But uh, you'd be surprised. How easy it is to get things muddled where guys are grappling and they're really, they're closed in and they're, uh, and they're, uh, they're wrestling and it's hard to see what's going on. And that's, I think maybe that's partly why everybody in issue three looks like they're, they're practicing Kung Fu. Cause with a lot of Eastern, with least Eastern, um, um, fighting at least in live action, it's very clear what the characters are doing. It's not very practical. It's not very, um, efficient, but it's clear and, uh, clarity in all things is just so important Mm. but uh yeah if I had to sum it up use the entirety of your space make sure that the choreography is very clear and the silhouettes are clear and use all the powers and abilities of your characters to their fullest and their most unique and then also watch lots of reference Mm -hmm. because like you see it sometimes in anime somebody will well do a screen by screen of a uh, a fight sequence anime versus a fight sequence from a Jackie Chan movie and they're like oh man that's exactly the same it's like yes because they watched the same movie and they recognized that that was a good move to grab and so they they integrated it into their characters reference is so important mm, like it, it, yeah. it, it gets understated how important reference is um, it's why whenever I do a, a speed panel video a speed paint video on my Friday videos mm-hmm. I always show myself grabbing my reference because everybody seems to think oh well all that character from my head and it's like and oh all the comic character artists they draw all their characters from their head and they don't need reference at all and it's just in your head and it's like some people are actually that smart most of us and I I, my by us I mean myself included are not
1: (laughs) Uh Yep, yep yep yep
0: Um, (laughs) reference all the way all the way for reference
1: what kind Uh, of what kind of (laughs) reference do you enjoy using for your
2: action sequences um usually myself actually nice Um, I will get up and do as many of them as are physically possible. Mm-hmm. Like I'm not going to throw myself off a building. I, I I'm not going to survive that.
1: I, I feel like <laughs> yeah, that that probably would not be the best idea. I mean, although the uh uh the what should we call it? The dedication to the craft it would would be admirable to an extent. Probably not the best idea. <laughs> um,
2: but, but at the same time, I also have a morgue um, file of YouTube videos of people who can who can do that stuff and do do that stuff. Um, like um, one of my favorite per- people to watch on YouTube is uh, a da- uh, stuntman named Damian Walters. Mm-hmm. He does some of the craziest stuff. But like, I'll look up parkour videos online, and I'll be like, "Oh, that'll be cool to incorporate somehow." And I'll I'll grab that. Um, or if it's a fight sequence, even if it's from animation, I'll do that too. Like I'm like, "Oh, that's really cool how they broke the character's arm to to show the emo- the idea of follow through. That is cool." Mm-hmm. Like they have um, the Naruto versus Sasuke fight from the Valley of the End at the the end of the first half of uh, Naruto. That was just a revelation for me in terms of action animation um, and fighting choreography because I would look at it and I'd be like, whoa, he just turned into a freaking dolphin. I mean, he didn't turn into an actual dolphin. The character just It looks like a dolphin, but why? So it tells the idea that he's shooting across the air like a bullet. Wow. Um, or the idea that um, if they're fighting on the wall, and I'm like, holy crap, this is a a uh, a a fight sequence that can only happen in Naruto. I mean, it, granted, it could mm-hmm. happen in Spider Man, Spider Man versus Venom, but you can't, you wouldn't do this in Dragon Ball Z because the characters can fly. You wouldn't do it in Bleed, you wouldn't do it in One Piece because the characters can't stand on walls. Everything should uh, like uh, just I reference everything, all the things. And um, as I tell my students, sometimes the reference that you're looking for doesn't exist. So you have to find the next best thing. Um, Like for the Crimson Fly, his run cycle, I, I keep not integrating it, animating it the way I would like it to be animated. But the the closest thing I can liken it to is the um people who have um who are um the double leg amputees and they're running mm-hmm. and they have those like digigrade um legs that like the the the, the digi-grade legs that have the, that they stick into the shoes and they're just running. Oh yeah, that's such a good reference. Mm. And that's pretty much how the Crimson Fly runs. Because yeah. his legs are just that weirdly deformed. But I also sometimes never I don't always show it the way I want. And that's what I mean by injecting personality into the character. Like in issue three, he comes off physically a lot more competent than he actually should be um the mm-hmm. same thing with the store owner where the store owner is twirling around that broom like it's a like it's a, a bow staff and i'm thinking in my head oh no they're gonna think that he's some sort of kung fu wizard and this is all wrong <laughs> and then i'm realizing at the end later wait i can use that in the plot later hmm. Ooh, nice so then it's I still like it
1: says... oh go ahead
0: lauren please sorry i was gonna say i suppose it says kind of um happy accidents uh that kind of provide potential story fodder for later on
2: oh yeah because it's a, it's this weird issue of and I think a lot of content creators come in to have this problem is I'm not good enough to be where I want to be and I don't mm-hmm. and a lot of people they don't start until they are where they are where they think they should be but that's yeah that couldn't be further from the truth you're as ready as you think you are um and sometimes that means not being ready and just jumping in with what you got mm-hmm 'Cause like the things that I do in issue three and issue four and even what I'm doing now, I couldn't do when I started. I mean, I could to a certain extent, but I not like the, the creativity wasn't there yet. But it was only by working on it that I was able to get it. And yeah. it's like a lot of people don't realize that. So there's there and that was one of the things that and that, that got me started on doing the Crimson Fly was there's so many people out there where they they make they do concept art of their characters. They do character sheets. They do concept illustrations. And it's never exactly what they say that the, the end result is gonna be. So they'll do a few mm-hmm. comic pages, but their end goal is to do an animation. Or they'll do a uh, they'll do a few concept art drawings, but their end goal is to do a comic. And they never do the comic or the cartoon or the video game or whatever it is that they wanna make. And I'm like, I'm not gonna be that person. I wanna make an animated comic. We're gonna make an animated comic. We're gonna start. And uh, or are as per the plan, I'm going to have a buffer in place first, but I'm going to do this. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to wait until like half my life has gone by and somebody has already done it to do it. Mm -hmm. So yeah. Um, Yeah. But happy accidents abound. It's crazy, but they never would have happened if I hadn't just said, let's do it.
0: Mm -hmm. Oh, that's so good.
1: Mic drop again. (laughs) (laughs) That's
2: wonderful.
1: That's the DIY way. Oh my God. Amen. Yeah. Oh, so, dude, Oh, let's after all that goodness, man, let's jump back to um, talking again about your action sequences, because, you know, when you're talking about using the entire environment and oh, gosh, that was all just such good stuff that you were saying. <laughs> um, uh, but something else that just seems to be a, um, a really fantastic trait of your animated comics mm-hmm. is the engaging rhythm and pacing of the action that you have through your animation beats, especially in like the heavier action sequences, like nothing's really like even, everything just has like, like a really, really good and engaging rhythm to it. Um, so, So in your opinion, what do you think the key is to creating an engaging rhythm within your animation using your animation beats?
2: It's all dependent on the story, more or less. Mm-hmm. What feels like a good moment to stop and what feels like a good moment to go essentially. Mm-hmm. Um, like, it's very easy to, uh, um, to just start animating action and then not ever stop. And that's always a problem I have with a lot of action sequences that I both see on TV and when I see in fan works, is that people will animate a fight and not and not realize that a fight in and of itself is a story. It's a story of an underdog working their way up to the top. It's a story of an old, of a, of a, uh, of a experienced fighter slowly losing control. It's uh, the idea of somebody slowly coming to a realization, but at their core, fight sequences aren't just scenes of action. There are stories and people don't realize that. So it's about hitting those particular emotional beats. So like within issue two, when he's uh, when he's fighting the thieves in the store mm-hmm. and he's slowly coming to realize what the situation is. So as he does so, he slowly gets more and more confident in his fighting. Um, so this goes with, Oh no, he's on the defensive with these thieves to suddenly he's confident, but he's not aggressive. So he becomes more playful and more jovial with the guys that he's fighting. And just when he thinks that he's got this rhythm, boom, curveball. The warning sense isn't warning him about the thieves. I mean, it is, but the main vibe that he's getting is from the police that are showing up. And that abruptness is entirely intentional on my part, but it's all dependent on the story and what makes Mm. for the best reading experience for an audience. If it makes sense to not to have certain panels bleed together, like in issue three when they're, when they're, when the, him and the store owner are fighting with each other, mm-hmm. then I let them bleed together. I'm not going to stop the action so that it goes, okay, they're going to punch, stop. Okay, then they're going to punch again, stop. They're going to punch again. That's, that's hard to read. It's instead just go, they're going to fight, 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 fight until they reach a stopping point. Mm-hmm. And that stopping point is usually either an escalation or a de-escalation of the of the sequence, so in the case of them with them fighting on the bow stick, um, fighting on the bow staff, and they uh, they fight each other, and so what ends up happening is the Crimson Fly snaps the head off of the broom, and so now it's become a spear, and now things are even more dangerous than they were before. Mm. But then the next strip is basically the end of the fight. It's the Crimson Fly. He stops playing around, and he gets goes too far, and he starts beating on this old man. And I always like to joke as a selling point for the comic. He's going to keep beating on that old man until you hit next. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and so what ends up happening is once you get tired of him beating on that guy, then it becomes the, you, everything sort of deescalates. The, the, the punching gets boring. The character starts to, um, starts to, to lose energy. And then you get this sort of day mom, the character realizing along with the audience, wait, you came here to stop this robbery. And now you're beating on the store owner. What the heck, man? What are you doing?
0: <laughs> wow. That's a really clever storytelling device.
2: huh. I had never really
1: thought of action like that before. Well, because mm. it reminded me of the, um like, earlier when, when you were talking about the uh, structure of a joke. Mm. So just, like, um, so how it's, like, there's just, like, this inherent structure in everything. Would you consider the de-escalation and escalation of action like the punchline of a joke that you were mentioning earlier?
2: Oh, absolutely. Cool. Um... It's just um, you get to a point where you, where either where you can go exactly how you expect it to go, wherein um, the person who has the advantage wins, and that's it. Or you can subvert it with either an outside factor coming in, or um, an unknown factor coming from one of the co- combatants. Mm-hmm. But there's always that. There's always that structure. There's a structure to everything. Even even things that seem chaotic, there's a structure to them. Like, uh, I guess the, my favorite example is uh, a lot of the let's players on YouTube. Yeah. Like the, the really good ones, you notice they have a structure to how they set up their videos and it doesn't feel as annoying as it does when somebody just kind of rambles or they don't edit their videos or they, 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 they work through their mistakes and it takes them hours for them to work through their mistakes. Whereas once we have structure, they are like, okay, we're going to cut out this part. We're going to cut out this part. We're going to start here. This is how we do our video. A lot of adult humor is actually that way too, mm-hmm. where it seems like, oh, this is random and crazy and wacky, but it still follows the, the the same, it doesn't follow the same structure, but it follows a structure when you look into it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's like, and the thing is that it's not just in terms of story, it's in terms of design, in terms of uh, visuals, in terms of animation, in terms of sound design. One of my favorite, well, two of my favorite examples of this, um, I'm playing, I, one of my favorite video games currently is Sonic Generations. Mm-hmm. Um, actually, no, better example, Mario Kart. Um, When you're in first place in Mario Kart 8, the drum beat actually changes to something more fast-paced. And the idea is to signify that, okay, you're in first, but you're going really fast. And that's an intentional design choice, and that's a structural choice. They do the same thing in Sonic Generations in the first level. The first level of Green Hill Zone has two different distinct um, beats. One for when you're casually figuring things out and then one for when you're actually going really fast and you know exactly what you're doing. Um, in design, color theory is, is, is structural. Mario wears red, blue, and um, yellow because they're primary choice colors. But on the flip side, Luigi wears blue and green, not just because um, green is a complement to red, but also because blue and green bleed into each other. So Mario, his contrasting colors, they stand out from each other, whereas Luigi's kind of blend into each other and by, by resu- as a result, Mario stands out, whereas Luigi doesn't. It plays into that idea of structure. Even when things are at their most chaotic, there is a structure to them. Wow. Yep. Well, at least in, in design. People is an entirely different thing.
1: Yeah. What do you think, um, for the Crimson Fly, color-wise, what do you think that structure is for you? Oh,
2: I suck at color. That is literally <laughs> the entire structure. <laughs> hey, that's an A-OK <laughs> structure to have. <laughs> um, it's uh, working with what you've got, so that's cool. I, 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 there's an artist that I uh, I admire. His name is Brian Stelfreeze. He's a comic artist. He's currently um, drawing the Black Panther for Marvel. Ooh. And he had a, a, a lecture that he did on color. The idea that you pick one or two primary colors and that's where the audience's eye should focus and that everything else should lead towards that focus. Um, and admittedly, at the time, I didn't fully understand it, but I took the idea of having one or two primary colors. So... Going along with that, if you ever read Mark Mike Mignola's Hellboy, mm-hmm. Hellboy is the only shade of is the only shade of that particular red in the entire comic. There's still mm-hmm. color in it, but only Hellboy is allowed to be the particular shade of Hellboy red that he is. Wow. Um, so I decided to take what I learned from both of those guys and just combine it and do both of them. So I'm not gonna color, so there's gonna be black and white, but the only focal color is going to be the crimson fly whenever he shows up. Mm-hmm. And I'm playing with the idea of having other color characters show up and having them have their own dedicated colors too. But I haven't found the characters that I find are important enough to do so with yet. Mm -hmm. I also recognize that there is an emotional um, resonance in color. Blue calms you down. Green makes you feel nauseous and queasy. And then red is essentially danger. Danger Will Robinson. Mm -hmm. (laughs) So actually, if you read through the first first, uh, issue, it starts off as... And really most of the issues start off this way. They start off as blue, but mostly blue. Mm-hmm. And then they slowly go to yellow. And then by the midpoint, they're in this deep red where everything has gone wrong and really bad. And then everything slowly ramps back to yellow as the, the Crimson Fly starts to resolve his situations. And then it goes back to blue at the very end because everything is resolved.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh-huh.
2: And I only have those I, I only have those three colors, um, red, yellow, and blue, as far as mood goes. And there's always the two different layers of mood as well. There's the emotional mood of the environment, i.e. are we in a dangerous environment? Like if we're in the middle of a fire, like the entirety of, of issue four takes place in the middle of a burning building. So that emotional um, mood um, is going to be yellow or it's going to be red, ready to a little bit yellow because everything's burning. But then there's going to be a situational mood on top of that when that's going to be red. And so because everybody's in danger of being burned alive. And just recently I've introduced a new color, purple. I I say that like I've invented the color purple. Um, (laughs) But purple, I want to have that sort of superficial calm of blue, but the underlying tension of red without going to the sort of overt tension of yellow. That's nice. Um, Yeah. So just now introduce that and hopefully going forward there will be more colors, but not too many colors because I'm told that the sort of monochrome but not really um nature of it is a high selling point of the comic.
1: Yeah, sort of like monochromatic bit with the uh with the pop of that l- like of that red. It it's just it's a it's very strong graphically yeah, for sure. Definitely. it works hey. really
2: well. Well <laughs> the other the other fun thing about the monochrome is that it allows me to imply character race um c- imply whatever character race you want for the character. hmm It's also a bit of a challenge because it's like, well okay, how do I draw this character as having specifically a, a specific racial feature Without defaulting to um, harmful stereotypes, that's nice. Mm. That's that that's
1: yeah. That's really really good.
2: Cause I I, I cause if you go onto my DeviantArt page, keepingina.deviantart.com, you can probably guess the actual race of the Crimson Fly. But if you're just reading the comic, I think the only thing that's really specified is his gender, and even that's not really specified right now.
1: I didn't even really think of that actually, cause I, like it just like. Uh yeah you're right sorry i'm not adding anything to the
2: conversation no i I think we are all enjoying the sound of your mind being blown right now
1: right just like oh man because i think for the fourth time this interview yeah Yeah. yeah, pretty much well no because because again just uh with superheroes a lot of times uh which again with all of batman versus superman's faults which there were a lot of them uh i i do think one of the um uh, for me, like, a really big selling point for it that I thought was successful was uh, was Wonder Woman in it. And just, yeah. like, that was, um, I actually got, like, a little choked up at the end seeing her fighting uh, and just, like, being, like, a brute fighter. Because, like, yeah. I've, like, it's, like, you don't see that. So, mm-hmm. so, like, with the Crimson Fly, again, it's, like, that just, like, he it just kind of, like, read inherently as male to me because it's just what, you know, I'm used to.
2: Well, to so, be fair, he is male because, unfortunately, it's a, he is an author avatar, uh huh. Uh-huh. So, if, if, if this was not my first project ever. Yeah, he probably would be female because we need more girls. We just do. Like mm. we need more girl superheroes. We need more girl scientists. We need more girl girls. And I'm not, I'm, this isn't just me saying, oh yeah, girl, 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 girl. We genuinely need those examples of diversity in in comics and cartoons and everything. It's just that this was my first project and I really wanted it to be me.
1: <laughs> right? No, nothing wrong with that. I think it's completely
0: justified. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't think you should ever feel like you should make a character for a specific purpose because it feels like that's expected of you. Well, it feels disingenuous. Yeah. Yes, yeah, like, yeah exactly. It has to
2: feel natural. Yeah, like, definitely. I think that's a problem that, that Marvel has um, where a lot of their newer characters, when they're done wrong, it feels like pandering. But when they're done mm-hmm. right, like Ms. Marvel... Um, she feels like a, an actual Pakistani American girl, mm-hmm. mostly because she's written by, um, by, uh, by Pakistani Americans. And it doesn't feel like there's sort of, sort of niche that she's fulfilling. It's basically, this is the story that we chose to tell with this character. I was at a party one time and I was showing off the Crimson Flyer cause it was an animation party. And, um, one of the people who I was talking to was like, oh yeah, she's really cool. I'm like, she, yeah, she just reads as a female as like, well. I'm looking at the character. I'm like. I'm not going to dissuade that. I mean, I am going to actually dissuade that, but that's a really cool idea. And mm-hmm. like I said, if it wasn't my first one, my first project, the, the Crimson Five would probably be female. That being mm-hmm. said, I do have plans for other characters who will show up who may or may not get their own spinoffs if I can find the people who can do those for me. Ooh, that'd be but, cool. Exciting. Because um, I think that's, what, that's one of the things that people always want to end up doing is they want to eventually build a verse. I'd be lying if I said I didn't want to build my own universe. Um, I do. Because I feel like there are certain Mm -hmm. stories that the Crimson Fly cannot tell. Not that he couldn't, like, I couldn't use the character to tell those stories. But there are certain stories specifically, like the, the magic story I told at the beginning. Like, getting the Crimson Fly in there for, like, five seconds? Okay, yes, doable. Changing the entire thing to high fantasy? Not doable. But I could introduce a character for whom that story could work. Mm-hmm. Like uh, in uh, in uh, the Marvel Universe, they want to tell Star Wars stories, but they can't tell Star Wars? Get the Guardians of the Galaxy to do it. You want a political thriller? Um, get uh, Captain America to do it. If you want a Superman story, again, get Captain America to do it. But if you want high yeah. fantasy and you want Lord of the Rings-style <laughs> fantasy, then you get Thor to do it. You want science fiction and high adventure? Get Iron Man to do it. These are different characters that fulfill different niches. And averse can do that. But you have to set it up as such, which is why, the, which is the problem with Batman v Superman is that Batman v Superman feels too much like a Batman movie. Whereas mm-hmm. a Superman movie is about how Superman inspires us, not how Batman mm-hmm. inspires us. Um, a mm-hmm. Batman movie should be about, uh, what should a Batman be about? About how the even the worst of us can still do the, the self reported worst of us can still be, do the right thing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, whereas like, this is the, the depth of human depravity, sure. But here is Bruce Wayne, who is as crazy as his bad guys, but he still chooses to do the right thing with his, with his uh, traumas. Wow. I think that's a more recent interpretation of Batman, because Adam West very clearly didn't have issues. Yeah. <laughs> it's funny, because it speaks to another idea that I have with a characters. Like, certain characters can't do certain things. Mm-hmm. But then there are certain characters that can do anything. Certain characters are reaching that sort of cultural ubiquity for their, for their um, mediums. Batman and the Joker are that. Batman, Joker, and Deadpool are that for comics. Mickey Mouse is that way for animation, like uh, the Mm -hmm. new Mickey Mouse shorts that are the Paul Rudish Mickey Mouse shorts are amazing, so beautiful, and the stories are so fun and charming too. Um, And then, in for video games, you have uh, um, Super Mario, where Mario has done everything under the sun, (laughs) Um, Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. and he can still do more if that's something that you want to do. And even the things that Mario can't do. You have all the other characters can do. If you want somebody who's crazier than Mario but not quite a straight lace, you get Wario. You want mm-hmm. um, you want a sort of uh, not Telltale but like um ooh, what's the word? Just like adventure but not actiony uh, adventure. You get Luigi to do it in Luigi's Mansion. You need a bad guy story. Get the Koopalings to do it. You need um you need some female representation. You get Peach to do it. It's crazy, mm-hmm. but I think you have to build to that point.
1: Definitely. Mario mm. couldn't have gotten to that point without the little, like, well, actually, I guess it would be
2: Donkey Kong. The Donkey Kong game, wouldn't it? Nope. <laughs> actually, Mario would not be without Popeye, without um, without Universal refusing to sell the rights to Popeye. Oh,
1: wow. I didn't oh, know that. Oh, my goodness.
2: Because he, he it was supposed to be a Popeye game at first. That's, that's amazing.
1: Crazy. I had no idea. But, Can yeah, no,
2: Miyamoto admitted his original idea was to create a Popeye video game, but they couldn't reach an agreement. Wow. So, um, limitation being the mother of creativity, he created his own carpenter named Jumpman, who eventually decided to go into the plumbing business with his brother Luigi in a puzzle game called Mario Brothers, and then he decided to become um, superheroes and become the Super Mario Brothers.
1: Wow. Wow. Well, there you go. <laughs> ding, 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 ding. ding. <laughs> yeah. So again that's amazing. Like the whole like, hey, make fan art or fan games, but it doesn't have to be exactly just make your, make your own big roads. Ah, ah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> That's so good. That's
1: amazing. Wow.
0: So yeah, throughout um this conversation, it's been amazing just to see your enthusiasm and your excitement about everything that you're making and putting into the Crimson Fly. There's Thank you you just exude such a fearlessness in the pursuit of your project. It's really inspiring. I'd really like to ask, what is it that keeps you going through
2: it? For one thing, hearing stuff like that. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Always good. Um, and on and, and a, and a slightly more sort of pessimistic and negative bent, mm-hmm. the, the, that we're not seeing this sort of stuff happen. If I don't do it, I'm very, very scared that no one else will. Mm-hmm. Um, right. Like if, the, if there were a gajillion animated comics out there where people were all doing comics, I would just do the Crimson Fly as a comic strip. Cause then I could do it five days a week. I would guess it, building a buffer would be easy. Like it, cause mm. it takes me about three hours to do uh, to do, uh, to do the inks and paints come like cold out of like, nothing. If I already have a story set up, it takes me three hours. So I, it, doing five strips a week would not be hard. Mm. Five pages probably impossible, but five strips, <laughs> where it's like with the structure of intro, rising action, um, punchline, conclusion slash cliffhanger, five strips a week, no problem. But mm. there's not there there aren't enough animated comics out there. If this can inspire more people to start doing them, e- even if for like not the like the most altruistic of reasons, like if. Like people start doing what they did uh with Marvel's animated comics with the astonishing X-Men, which are really not that great. Um <laughs> Um if even if people start doing more of that, then I think I'll be doing something that's that's uh that's great. The other thing is just like there aren't enough spoilers there aren't enough um work af- um african-american protagonists out there in the, in mm. the not that the outcomes of five may or may not be african-american i want you to <laughs> read the comic and find out and even then there's not enough works by african-american creators mm-hmm. so gotta contribute to the pool and also i'm making the thing that i want to make mm-hmm. on a slightly cynical note i've fallen out of love a little bit with a lot of the mainstream superheroes where they're not they're, I've grown. I know why they do the things that they do. Like the creators do the things that they do, but those characters are not my. Are not the characters that I grew up with. and not the characters that I want to read. Mm-hmm. And instead of complaining to to Marvel and saying, "Hey, stop making Peter Parker, Tony Stark," it's not going to be a mm-hmm. thing. Which, and to their credit, Dan Slott is an amazing, is a really good writer, and he is making that a very interesting story. But it's not the story I want to read about Peter Parker. Mm-hmm. Superman dying and then being replaced by his alternate reality duplicate from the past, from 10 years ago. I don't want to read that Superman. Mm-hmm. So in the meantime, until I get what I want, I'm just going to make my own. Yeah. And also, I can't stop doing it. It's, it's just too much fun. <laughs> That's great. What what crazy hijinks can the Crimson Fly get into now? What thing do I want to say about comics and cartoons that I want that can I do? Mm-hmm. And just even, mm-hmm. it's just a fun factor of... I'm doing things that like 10 years ago were not, oh, okay, not 10 years ago. You could definitely make, as I said earlier, you can definitely make animated comics in the 90s. But um, making your own independent media, we live in a very exciting time. Like, Like before the internet and before computers, if I wanted to work on my own animated series, I'd have to go to Disney or I'd have to go to Marvel and I'd have to pitch them and say, Hey, I have an idea for a comic or I have an idea for a cartoon. How about you give me some money and I'll make it, or give me some money, give me some people, and we'll make it together. And then they'll come mm-hmm. back and say, "Yeah, that's not gonna sell," or they'll say, "We'll change this, 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 and this," and like, and if I'm lucky, they won't change everything, but that's not usually how it works. Like, a, like the a Avatar: The Last Airbender. Was a sci-fi series to start out with, if you can believe it or not. Really? Wow. Wow. Yes, yeah, it's, it's in the art book where Ang has this futuristic staff, and he hears this um this um this uh um this uh herd of of uh, flying polar bear bison people. Wow. Hmm. I need to get that art book. It's, it's a really good art. It's amazing. Book. It's kind of weird because it's um the the is written by M Night Shyamalan. What? Yeah. What? Wow. So like, wait, you read that? You wrote that, and then you didn't read the rest of the book. <laughs> okay, that's weird. I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> but it's a really good art book but uh, the avenues to creation now i'm just like oh draw four panels together scan it in myself i don't even have to go to fedex i can just get a scanner somewhere or i can if, if i don't have the money i can go to fedex scan it in go sit at a, a starbucks coffee shop upload it to a tumblr i don't even need to have my own website just like do a tumblr blo- um a tumblr blog use a, s- a simple webcomic theme, boom instant comic For animation, if I was, if I was really crazy, weirdly desperate, I'd just like cut up, cut the pieces together, um, do a stop motion video and boom, I'm on YouTube, but even just like the tablet computers, the Cintiq, the Cintiqs, the Cintiq companions, the Surface Pro 2s, 3s, 4s, all of them. We live in an exciting time where you don't need the corporations as much as we did before. Like now the problem is I don't have a marketing department, so self-promotion is insanely hard <laughs> without like just mm. being able to just do the comic pass the pages to the uh the editor and then they'll pick out which ones that they want to run in their promos um mm. distribution yeah marketing department all great but at least i don't have to go to them to say hey i want to make a comic about it about a superhero who has really weird legs and has um has wings on his back
1: mm-hmm. mm. how do you think that we just as artists in general, how do you think that we can cultivate that fearlessness
2: in our own work and attitude? Um, well, a part of it is that it's, it's really hard because part of it is that when I started, it didn't feel like there was any risk.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, mm. And to a certain extent, there really is still isn't any risk. Like blogger is free. Um, Tumblr is free. YouTube is free. Facebook for advertising is free. Um, there's a lot of people where they come in and they think, oh, man, I have to pay for books for printing. I have to pay the artist to do this. If we can get rid of that idea of risk, I think we'll do, we'll do a, a lot better. We also need that confidence. There's a few people on the Internet where they're just fearless and they'll jump into it. And it doesn't matter that it doesn't look good. They'll just do it. It all begins with just picking up the pencil and just starting. The rest will yeah. come as you go. Suddenly you'll start putting it on the internet and people will start suggesting, Hey, do you know about this, this program? Gimp is free. You can use that mischief. is also free. You can use that on the less legal sense. Hey, here's a torrent for open canvas or a paint tool side. Now, no, I am not advocating piracy. That is <laughs> mm-hmm. not a thing I advocate at all. Mm. If you have the money, <laughs> spend the money. Mm-hmm. Um, because the people who make this, the tools that you use also have to eat too. Mm, but yeah, as avenues for, for um, generating stuff. Oh, I see that you're posting on Facebook. Do you have your own site? No. Well, why don't you make a Tumblr and you can use that or why don't you make a blog spot. That's actually how I ended up on blogger was one of um, one of the artists that I watch, um, Meredith McLaren. Um, she does a comic series called hinges and I noticed that hers was run on a blog spot. And I'm like, wait, how did you do that? And I emailed her and then I asked her and she told me and uh, it was like, nice. Oh, that makes sense. And um, I haven't got quite worked up the nerve to talk to, um, to email um, Ryan Woodward or Bobby Chu about mm-hmm. how much of an influence the, they were on the Crimson Fly. But once next, I will. Oh, good. Are you going to CTN mm-hmm. this year? Um, Unfortunately, not this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to, uh, I can't believe I'm saying this, the New Jersey Comic Expo. Hey, nothing wrong secret. with, like, picking and choosing, <laughs> you know? Yeah. Mostly because I hadn't planned for it. It was like, it, it, this This is cheaper and I feel like it's a better avenue to get the Crimson Fly out there. Mm-hmm. But yeah, but next year I'm going to definitely do it because like the goal last year was, the theme for me as a content creator was, can I make this consistently as a content creator? Um, can I do it for um, 52 weeks straight, making this comic, putting it out there, getting it out there where people can see it and doing this consistently and proving that I am a proven content creator who can get it done get things done, um, not just get things done, but do this consistently that it is worth following
1: mm-hmm.
2: and be that, do that. Because I find that people, if you're not proven, then they're like wondering, well, why should I trust you? And I'm like, hey, I did this thing for oh, a year straight and it was fine, come at me. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, this year is essentially, well, can I sell it? I've made it, now can I sell it to people? And the answer to that has been mixed, but it has been a sort of slow yes nice mm. um, more be- mm. Mm? Oh, oh
1: no go oh no go, uh, go ahead i was gonna say like a like a slow yes is still a really good yes though because then that just means like mm. you know it's kind of like a uh instead of like something just like igniting and puttering out then it's like uh you got like the slow burn going that like you can grow and it's manageable and then you can learn about it and it's just like it, it seems like a good scenario
2: oh yeah. yeah and then um and then when it's when it's become stable then i can slowly change gears so that way it doesn't become this sort of stale okay i read this before I read this before when it was called Issue One. I read this before when it was, when it was the prequel, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Which is also part of the reason why I want the, the character to grow and age, is because I want him to have different times in his life where different scenarios can only happen at different and different scenarios in your life. So, like the idea that there's a there's a mistake that he makes as a child that he wouldn't make as an adult, but being adult brings more problems that a child just simply does not have to face. Mm-hmm. And being able to change it and evolve the character. Cause if you because in this weird sort of like um pseudoscience way, we're not standing still when we when when we stand still. The earth is still rotating. So we're all still moving. So the only way to keep moving, the only way to really stay in place is to keep moving forward. And so if you wanna and so if you wanna move, that means that if you want to move ahead in life, you have to double time it. You have to work real hard. But if you're standing still, then you're falling behind. At least that's how I see it. Mm. I haven't thought of it like that. I like that. I like that a whole lot. <laughs> <laughs> Me too.
0: Wow. So I think that probably brings us to our last question.
2: Mm-hmm. Yes.
0: Which is, what is the one most vital thing you think DIY animators need?
2: Whew. <sighs> Wait. Like in a like in a physical sense, or in a um, in a uh, like a metaphysical sense. Like personality uh, what, wise versus um versus actual tech
0: whichever whatever yeah whichever uh,
1: you feel is the
0: most vital thing
2: sneaky hmm. question sneaky it question. is because there's, <laughs> i feel like there's two answers to that on the on the metaphysical in terms of personality goes you need grit you need determination you need to not give up yeah being smart enough to be able to draw doesn't mean diddly if you don't have the heart to stick with it not being able to draw we can fix that there are people who can who don't have hands, who don't have feet, who draw with their elbows. If you have the grit to, to learn, you will learn. There's an um, amazing mm. artist named Frank Frazetta. Beautiful.
0: Oh, I think I've heard of him.
2: <laughs> oh, man. He he had a stroke at one point in his life, late in his life. Oh, I didn't know that. Um, and what ended up happening is he lost the use, temporary use of his right hand, which was his drawing hand. So he picked up his left and just learned to draw with that. Wow. wow. I can't do that. That's never gonna happen. I'm just gonna hire somebody else to do it for me. <laughs> um, incredible. But you need that sort of grit. In terms of actual tech, a tablet computer is where is where these things are going now, unfortunately, at least for 2D animation. Mm-hmm. Um, what I started off with is um, before the iPad, they had the, the flipping computers, like the like computers where you would flip the lid and it'll slam down on the keyboard and then it would become a, a tablet. Which is why I've never had much love for the iPad because I feel like it's, it's a step backwards. Oh, okay. But I mean, like, I rec- I, like the iPad Pro is st- slowly getting there, but the er- er- earlier iPads, I'm like, I have a tablet computer. It's an actual computer, it's not a tablet. But tablet computers allow you to work anywhere, do any, not necessarily do anything if they're not powerful enough. Like you can't really do like hardcore 3D animation. But in terms of being able to do animation yourself, in this digital age that we live in where everything is, it has to go eventually go on the internet anyway. Like it'd be one thing. It's like, Oh, well I have a, I have a stack of paper and I have a, and I have a camera and I'll, I'll draw the, I'll draw the art and I'll take it on a camera. Well, guess what? It's still got to go on a computer somewhere for you to comp it together these mm-hmm, days. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so why not just start on a computer? They have free software is available. It's not sketchbook. Um, uh, it's not mischief. There's another free software that's out there, um, but they're starting to do animation. Um, Mischief is starting to do animation. Sketchbook is doing animation. Plastic Animation is a free animation pa- a software. The software is out there, but you need the hardware and a tablet computer. I think in the 21st century is a must-have for uh, for at least for digital 2D animation. For 3D, then I would say recommend a gaming computer. But yeah, no determination and a good computer.
0: Nice. Yeah. Um, yeah. i think it's great that's a really good yeah. answer
1: so colin where can people find you and your work
2: Ooh, that's actually an easy one quite literally if you put skipper wing s-k-i-p-p-e-r-w-i-n-g in google that entire first page is me on twitter that's me skipper wing on instagram that's me Skipperwing on um, on DeviantArt, that's me. Skipperwing on Facebook, that's also me. Pretty much all of these, all of the main social media. If it's Pinterest, if it's Instagram, if it's Twitter, if you just search Skipperwing, that's probably me. Nice. Um, as for the Crimson Fly, um, the Crimson Fly is available at uh, the CrimsonFlyComics.blogspot.com, like those words exactly. Crimson, the Crimson Fly um, comics, no space. Dot blogspot.com. Um, and it's also available on Tumblr at either the crimsonflycomics.tumblr.com, uh, which is basically the supplementary blog that I made for my thesis. And then I decided to use it as my promo blog for everything else on Tumblr or the crimsonflycomics.tumblr.com, which is where you can read the, the static version of a comic. And on YouTube, I'm also there as skipperwing, where you can find everything the Crimson Fly or skipperwing related. Ooh, I also forgot to mention the store. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Um, me too. I'm on the gumroad, gumroad.com slash skipperwing. And then also in the future, I'm going to start setting up a Patreon. Once I can figure out what sort of rewards yeah. I want to give people. Like, mm. uh, the initial thought was was going to be, you get to read the comic early. But destroying my buffer kind of killed <laughs> that. Um <laughs> But I do want to set up a Patreon, because I think that that's where the the um, future of um, independent funding is going, is crowdfunding and Patreon and all that sort of yeah. awesome stuff. nice. Mm-hmm. Um, Definitely. But what I need to do is I need to set up a, a tip jar that people can just be like, okay, I'm not offering anything right now, and I'm going to be upfront about that. But if you want to, you can start offering like a dollar a month or whatever. And then people can – because there are people who, who do that too, where they don't actually um, – they don't actually give any rewards, the reward is quite literally the one thing that they do mm-hmm.
1: that they were doing anyway.
2: It's just that now they have more time to do it, yeah. And so, well, that all yeah. sounds
0: amazing, that sounds really good,
1: definitely.
2: Wow,
0: well, yeah, it's been brilliant talking to you.
1: Same, it's been so much fun. Yeah. This has been such a pleasure, and you've just again, like, your enthusiasm is amazing your work is fantastic and then just like a like I don't know I feel like I've learned so much some serious knowledge
0: has been (laughs) dropped today
2: right same here no just like being able to talk about it like that's that's the fun of teaching too sometimes like not that this has been a teaching experience but like um just being able to commiserate and think about things like the like the the, when we were talking about the gutters i was like
1: how have I never thought about this (laughs) right yeah heck i don't know even like the mario bit about how like each piece is like each piece of his outfit well not his outfit but of his design design, is a signifier of like it's like uh
2: this is so much fun
0: i'm really excited to see how um what happens in the crimson fly yeah
2: Yeah. well i'm just like excited to be here thank you no you're welcome it's been it's been really fun yeah you're all
1: interview was a blast! I loved it. <laughs> I love Colin's insight and energy so much. It's just it's infectious. Really, oh, it's so
0: good. I love it so much. His whole section about the action choreography I think had to be my favorite bit. All the solid points that he had about it. Asking yourself what can you do in animation that you can't do in live action. Number one. Number two, what can your character do that only they can do? So, making sure that you're tailoring their sort of own individual action choreography to them as a character and what their thought processes are, their personality, their physical um, attributes. That was really good. Number three, animation classic. Silhouettes should always be clear. I think that's really easy to forget, especially if you're dealing with more than one character interacting in like a close, close space. Mm. But that's really good. And the last one that really stuck out to me was using the whole of the three-dimensional space, especially difficult if you're a 2D animator primarily. It can be quite tricky sometimes to really grasp that you've got all this sort of um, Z depth as well but it's just <laughs> so good I wish I had more fight
1: scenes to choreograph because now I want to put it all into action <laughs> you could just, you'll just animate all the fight yeah. scenes now it was great it was so good. <laughs> I think my favourite part was his uh, section talking about rhythm and fight scenes and how they're really similar to like joke structure yes. or just story structure in general and I think it, I think it really drives the point home that rhythm and structure really manifest in everything in similar ways, uh, whether it's story or fight scenes or design and so on and so forth. My, my takeaway from that was that if you're not sure how to approach something, you know, if you're going into something brand mm-hmm. new, that's okay because there's probably a really good chance that you can look to something else that is seemingly different. You can still look to other things for guidance and inspiration because most likely they will have a similar structure that you can base things off of and learn yes. from. Yes, and I just yeah, this is just That's awesome. so good. <laughs> yeah, hundred
0: percent. That's amazing. I love Me it. Too. Colin, thank you so much for speaking with thank us you, and sharing your knowledge <laughs> and deep insight. It was really, really good to talk with you. And best of luck to you and to the Crimson Fly and the uh, revamping of it. We're very excited about it.
1: Yes, yeah, second to all of that. Best of luck with everything and thank you for being awesome. And here's to the Crimson
0: Fly. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for being an awesome person. Indeed. <laughs> well, you can find the original Crimson Fly archives on Colin's YouTube channel under his username Skipperwing, which is S K I. P P E R W I N G, skipper wing, and make your way over to the Crimson Fly All Silent playlist. So click on that and you'll be able to watch through the entire selection of all of the Crimson Fly up to now. He also has plenty of other playlists full of Crimson Fly videos with commentary. He's got drawing videos, plus some fan animations, and a whole lot more. So it's good stuff there. Mm-hmm. And currently on the main Crimson Fly website, thecrimsonfly.com, Colin has his side comic Flybits. so you can read that while you wait for the revamped Crimson Fly that we mentioned last episode.
1: Speaking of, if you missed it last episode, you can find a special sneak peek of the newly remastered Crimson Fly in the show notes for this episode. And when you're there, you will also find a link to Colin's Patreon, where he is very active. And you can find lots of his art posts, and you can also support him and the Crimson Fly if you so choose. Yeah! That's patreon.com forward slash skipperwing. So again, be sure to check out the blog post for this episode, where we'll have a full rundown of all Colin's links at diyanimation.show forward slash DIYA17. That's the number one seven.
0: Yes. If there's anything that's really hit you square between the eyes this episode or karate chopped you in the head, we (laughs) and Colin would love to hear about it. Either leave a comment on this episode's blog post at diyanimation.show forward slash DIYA17, the same link, or find us on Instagram at DIYAshow, Twitter at DIYAshow, and our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash DIYanimationshow.
1: And if you would like to subscribe to the DIY animation show to catch up on all future and previous episodes, head on over to iTunes or SoundCloud and you can subscribe to the show there. Perfect.
0: Well, that wraps up today's interview. Tune in next month on Wednesday, March the 20th for a brand new interview, brand new guest, and brand new heavy dose of animation inspiration. Yes. Yes. Until next time follow your heart and have fun animating.
1: We'll see you next time. Au revoir. Goodbye. The DIY Animation Show is an indie production from your hosts, Jessica Dahl and Lauren Morse. Our theme music was provided by As Flux.
0: Subscribe at DIYAnimation.show
1: you liked this podcast maybe you'll enjoy more art and story podcasts from our friends at the Oatley academy of visual storytelling featuring insights from some of the most inspiring voices in animation games vis effects comics and children's books find them at friendsofdiya.com we'll see you next time bye Again, thank you so much for talking with us today. And just, uh, yeah, it's been a pleasure yeah.
2: meeting you. Uh, Stay here. I mean, again, because apparently we are friends of, on Facebook. <laughs> I know, right? I was like a for,
1: like for formally
2: meeting mm-hmm. you, apparently. <laughs> Which is the, both the, the, the great and terrifying thing about Facebook. <laughs> right. It's uh, like, I know all these people who don't actually, or, oh man, what happened, or, what keeps happening this week is like, people I, I know explicitly, I don't know in any capacity, like either comment or they will, uh, they'll like a status, and I'll be like, "Who are you, and how did you find out about me?" <laughs> nice. Oh, goodbye, farewell,
1: adieu. Have a, have a jolly time animating. <laughs> See y'all later. <laughs> <laughs>